Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6 for a moment here. Everybody put, go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We also want to remember, I just, just got the news this morning on uh, the largest terrorist attack next to 911 happened last night in Orlando, Florida. Okay? The vacation, over 50 now, confirmed 53 confirmed dead, over 50 wounded, and uh, it was a terrorist attack right on American soil again. And so what you, you know, I'm not going to get into all the politics of what I believe is going to happen right now. They're going to try to use to pull away guns in the legislation. I'm not going to get into that there. But how many know those families are hurting right now? So let's all just stand for a moment. And Father, we do lift up the families of all those that have today. Whether it's uncles, sons or daughters, moms or dads, whoever it might be that they have lost today. God, we hold them up today with thankful hearts for each one. And, and God, as this is a travesty, as it's signs of the times that we're living in, as you said, men's hearts will fail them for what they see coming on the world. So God, we do hold them right now, and we just pray that the church, the body of Christ, the ecclesia, the called ones, would just be on appointments and just track with your spirit and be there to minister hope, be there to minister encouragement to all the families to help them through their time of crisis, help them through even their time of grief, Daddy. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God, may we not be the ones that would just point the fingers, may we not be the ones that would just be the critics, but may we be there, God, just to continue to uphold our leaders to uphold law enforcement, to uphold all those that have had to work through this here and see things that are just so grieving and just so overwhelming for their lives. So, Father, be it done now in Jesus' name. And to each of us here, may there just be a wake-up call that we would just wake up to know that this is the time. You said darkness would cover the earth and gross darkness to people. But you said, God, and we stand on your promise that my glory shall be seen upon us. God, we believe that in spite of everything we see in the natural, we say this is what God has decreed in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed, said? Amen. 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 You can be seated. First Timothy chapter 6. Many of you know next week is the Abba uh, Day offering. It's the one offering we do a year at WCF, a uh, special offering that we do for projects that we have. Last year, I commend each one of you that is here, as we did in the 9 o'clock service, uh, just for your graciousness. We had the largest, by far, Abba offering, Father's Day offering that we ever had in the history of WCF. We went uh, beyond our highest expectation on Abba last year, amen, with the pledges. And so we're just so thankful for that. That might not mean a lot to you, but we were able to work in the youth center, get the renovations done, get the mini hall in there, and get so many things done. They've already started the construction now. On the bottom part of the youth center, things are happening. This year we're going to be putting them, they'll be putting picks up. We want to make all the washrooms in here now handicap accessible. We want to renovate the new the washrooms right near the youth center down there now, gut them completely and rebuild them. 
We desire to put a new elevator in because what many people aren't aware of, what you see out here is the one level of the building in three phases. It's all connected, but we also want to put a new elevator for phase three that will go to the top and put all the new classrooms up there that we've run out of room on, on Wednesday nights for our empowerment classes. And so we need more space and more area for those as well as the lower level, which is the, what we call the basement area, where we have a full dance studio for Blades and Weapons, which is the two dance teams, the intermediate and the senior, as well as our IT department. We have a huge server down there. Robin Thomas runs that area and just does an incredible job and works with many volunteers, as well as Nader that did the scripture reading. He's on staff with us and works down in that department, as well as Matthew Chauci. So, all those guys and Pastor Brian Danner, all those guys all have offices down there. We want to develop that. Phil St. Pierre worked on last year about two and a half months and just gave us time and put washrooms in downstairs now. So we have them in the lower level, but we need to put them up in the top level. There's so many projects that we want to do. And so the ABBA offering is investing generations. Everything we believe that we do here in the strategic planning is not just by coincidence or chance, but it's by the choices we made to be a generational church. So that's why you'll see seniors here. That's why you'll see the young ones here. That's why you'll see the teenagers in their specified area that are right now in a class. They, they leave right after worship and they go in there and they minister with them on topics and subjects that are very important for them on a level of learning that they can comprehend and grab a hold. We have a lieutenant from the police officers that works in there. We have young couples that are in there that are serving in there. They're all on a rotating schedule to do our very scale, a rotating basis to do the very best we can to see that generation not disconnect, but connect them to God's master plan. Amen? And so thank you for your kindness and care. And I'm just going to read a, uh, just a scripture over here. How many know we live in a very blessed nation? And how many know we live in a very prosperous nation? Kathy and I have been to 30-some countries out there, maybe more than that by now, that we have been over the years in preaching the gospel of Jesus, and we've been in some very, very poor countries out there. We've been in nations where the total wage that they have is, is under $2 a day. Okay, and many don't even realize that over half the world that we live in lives on uh, under $2 a day, the populace out there. Incredible poverty in the world that we live in. Uh, I, I remember reading this many years ago. Our garbage disposal leaves better than uh, about a third of the people in the whole world. And we don't even recognize uh, the poverty and the things that are out there. But how many know God's called us to make a difference in our land and our generation? And so the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, teach those who are rich. Notice what it said over there is to teach them. Nello Paolini was a math teacher over here at Assumption for many years, and then St. Joseph, and then he had the, uh, the honor to teach all the math teachers that were all coming up for the Catholic school board over here with inside of our community. So he had an opportunity to teach all the students math, arithmetic, um, all, all those different subjects that are very important for us to know and for the students to know so that they could succeed. So in the same respect, Rick Shimatero has been given a mandate to teach those that are rich in this world. So how many know in our church today, and I never would label out the rich and then just say these are the poor? No, because it's God's eyes. How many know he puts us all on the same playing field? 
And it's not based on our nationality, color of our skin, the cars that we drive or the homes that we live in. Our fellowship over here, our fellowship is based around the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood that has made us all one in the family of God. And so he said, teach them. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, condemn the rich. He didn't say, put them down. He said, teach those that are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in what? And come on, in their money, which is so unreliable, their trust, who should their trust be in? In God who richly gives us, why does he give us all we need for our what? For our enjoyment. So how many know God's not against it? He wants us to be happy in this area. He wants us to enjoy what he's entrusted to us. And then look at the next verse in verse number 18, if you will, and look what it says. Tell them, that's the rich, come on, to use their money to do what? To do good, that which is advantageous, that which is profitable, that which will help people, that which will service people, that which will um, bless people. And it says they should be rich in what? Good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Now look what it says over here in verse number 19. We'll go to two more verses. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience, what does it say now? True life. And then look at the last verse, 20 over here. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussion of those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. So the writer is saying over there, charge those who are rich that they be generous, benevolent, and every good work. So this is an opportunity. Last year in our Abba, we had incredible gifts that came in, all designated specifically for the Father's Day offering, which is the Aramaic word, as we know, Abba here. Amen? So we just encourage everybody, do your very best. And in the message today, Kathy and I will allude to certain aspects. But a couple believes in this. One of the couples that believes in this here at WCF, his name is Roger and Candy. And they're just going to share a, a testimony with you for a couple minutes on what God has done in their life. Amen. Let's give God thanks for the two of them. And they're just going to share with you this morning because of time on Abba offering of what has happened. Go ahead, bro. Correct. My name's uh, Roger Rivard. My, it's my wife, Mary Lou, and she goes by Candy. We've been married since 2007, coming here at WCF. I work at the University of Windsor. I've been there for 42 years, and I still know I have years to come there. God has blessed us, and I can look at every aspect of my life very much when it comes to tithing. Uh, as a Christian boy, I thought tithing was a little bit here and there. Uh, coming here and learning and, and God teaching me about this, um, when we first started, we were about thirty, about thirty thousand dollars in debt, the two of us. We, um, I, I started tithing on, because um, Candy asked me, are we tithing on gross? I says, well, no. I talked to God. I says, I'm, we're tithing on net right now. Uh, but a year after we got married, uh, taking the finance course and that, uh, I was able to tell Candy. Um, in January that we're now tithing on gross. Within a year and a half of that time, the $30,000 was done. It was gone. Praise God. Amen. I know it was all of God. Um, since then, fast forward a couple years ago when Pastor Rick said, you know, we've got parking lot, different things like that to be done, uh, we stepped forward and doubled our offering. And then from that, Last year, I got over a 10% percent 
increase in wages at the university because of a job description. Amen. Move that forward a little bit more. We, we did our offering last, week, last year, which was uh, more than you know, what we've done before. And um, from there, God, I, and, and Candy and I sat down before Pastor Rick even brought up about ABBA offering this year. So we're sitting down talking. I says, um, you know, we've got ABBA offering coming up. I says, uh, I've got a figure in mind. So I tell her and that, and I says, uh, she kind of looks at me, and I went, I says, what? And she says, well, my figure is little more. I says, well, okay, how much more? Uh, she says, well, Holy Spirit's telling me double that. And I went, okay. The reason I went okay was because she's a daughter of God, which makes him my father-in-law. Okay. He's, so, hey, I've dealt with father-in-laws before, and I know this one I'm not going to deal with. Love you, Roger. Okay. So I was in full agreement with her on doubling our offer this year. And I know, because Pastor... Tell me what happened last year, though. Oh, oh, because of that, he... Because of our offering last year, not only did I get that increase, but we've had more than a tenfold return on that IVA offering last year. Come on. Okay. Like it, and it, it just keeps flowing in. It, we've had the good and the bad along the way, but it's, it's extending into our family, you know, with jobs, with opportunities and things like that. And I know it's all from stepping forward, putting faith in our Lord, and doing the IVA offering. And when you talk about washrooms, Working at the university, yep. this is my third year of doing washrooms at the university, okay? These projects, like I'm doing one right now, three floors of washrooms, is getting close to a million dollars. Yeah, it's huge. For, it's that's huge, for yeah. like nine washrooms, okay? So when you talk about, and I've done an elevator renovation, right. these elevators for this section yep. here can run upwards of $100,000 yep. alone. So... I feel it, I felt it in my heart the last week or so to basically, I know this congregation has it in them to more than double I agree. what you're looking for. That would be awesome. It would be. Amen. I, I'm feeling that. Yeah. Well, if God can speak to Roger and Candy and Rick and Kathy, he can speak to all of us here. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys. So appreciate your love and support and encouragement. Amen. Are you ready for God's word today? You've been hearing a lot of God's Word. We've been reading it. Kathy and I are doing a uh, series right now on the four ingredients of faith. We're going to get to point number four, but just in a quick summary. The first one is the acquainted knowledge with God. It's not just knowing about Him, but knowing God. And because then, number one, we actually are acquainted with God. We know Him. We're familiar with Him. We know We have the revelation of His names. Then we can move into the trust the confidence that we have in God, that what he said, we know he'll do it for us. And then after we've learned, the third ingredient was, is, is the 
that aspect of hope. And hope is not just wishing or hoping that something's going to work out, but it's a confident expectation that what God had said is going to come to pass. The Bible says, now faith is the confident, the title deed of things hoped for, the evidence of things that are not seen. So we can see that faith is what literally the New English Bible says, it feeds our hope, it feeds our dream, it feeds the vision. But the one we're going to cover now is the aspect of corresponding actions to faith or the aspect of obedience. The Bible says that if we're willing, having the right heart, the right attitude, and obedient, the Bible says we shall eat the good of the land. We're going to be covering this here in great detail with each of you that is in the room this morning as we uh, break out about the spirit of obedience. What many people fail to realize is that obedience is not just something demanded of God. It's something that is now natural in God. It is just a part of our new life that we have. The Bible says that the old man was selfish. It's characterized by disobedience. It's characterized by doing abominable things. But the new man is characterized by the spirit of obedience. Andrew Murray in his classic on the book called The School of Obedience, you can download it for free online under books.app. And it's one of the books. It's an amazing little book. And he made this here statement. He said, the very entrance into this life demands the vow of absolute obedience or the surrender of the whole being to be think, speak, and do every moment nothing but what is according to the will of God and well-pleasing to Him. We recognize that from the Scripture, but without faith, apart from faith, separate from faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. But what else does it say? But he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we understand something about this obedience. I remember 30 years ago reading in Dr. W.E. Vine's dictionary. And I typed and I put in the word before I even had my computer, the word pistis. And he had this big dictionary that he has of the New Testament word. And the word pistis is used 220 times in the New Testament, translated as we know it as faith. But I learned about it. He said, this is what it is. He said, it's a firm persuasion of God's evidence of truth. In other words, it's a revelation now that what God had said, he meant. What God had said. You have to understand who it was written to, the people that it was written to. But then after you understand that there, you can put the rest assurance, your confidence, your trust, your hope that God, what he said, he wants to perform it in your life. So he said, a firm persuasion of God's evidence of truth. And then he says, because of that now, he said it's going to cause a personal surrender. Kathy can't do it for me. You can't get in on the coattails of your dad, your mom, your pastor, your church, your co-neighbors, your friends, your brothers, your sisters, fellow believers. It's something you personally have to do. But then he brought out the third thing about it in Dr. W.E. Vines, and he said now a conduct that is inspired by such a surrender. In other words, the corresponding actions to the faith is necessary. Just like in baptism, we shared this morning. Uh, it's one thing to say, I'm a believer, but the Bible says, have you been baptized? Well, is there the corresponding actions that flows, not because you have to, it flows because you desire it, because you want it inside of our faith. And this is the area that Kathy and I are going to be zeroing in on today, is the last ingredient of our faith. Number one is the hope, number, excuse me, number one is the knowledge, the acquaintance. Number two is the trust, the confidence. Number three is the confident expectation of good. And number four is the aspect of obedience. 
You know, everything in life is a test. And we have to understand God wrote his word because he wanted us to understand him, know him, yeah. know how he operates, know what his laws are, know what he, what will work for us in this life. We're born into a world that is a fallen world. And we can read about that in Genesis about they had a test. How many know they had a test in the Garden of Eden? And the test was not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And yet, but they could eat from the freely from the tree of life and from every other tree in the garden. And yet they failed the test. And so man fell. And from that point on, we were born into a, all of us were born into a fallen world. And we, how many know your flesh, your flesh, there's a part of you that wants to do wrong. Mm -hmm. And you know, often we know what we're supposed to do. We know what God wants us to do. And yet our flesh always wants to war with that and try and get us to do the opposite. And so, you know, some tests we pass, some tests we fail. And, but when we fail tests, we end up reaping negative consequences in our life. We end up having things right. go wrong in our life and things just don't work out. Now, we are not saved by what we do. And I want to make that really clear. The word of God tells us there is no good thing that we can do to earn right. our salvation. Right. We got saved because we received the free gift of salvation through Jesus right. Christ, who is the son of God sent to die for our sins. And because of that, we were reconciled back to God. Right. However, because we know God and because now the spirit of God lives on the inside of us right. because we've received that gift of salvation, the Bible says we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. That's right. Great. In other words, because he's come in and changed us and we're born again by the spirit of God, we now have the ability to do good works. Mm -hmm. But there's something that gets in the way of us obeying God and doing those good works. And that's called our flesh. And our flesh always wants to do the opposite. And so we're being tested all the time for what is right and what is wrong. And the devil knows exactly how to plant the seeds and the excuses in our minds of do, to do wrong. And that's how he works. That's how he operates in our lives. And, you know, we go through life and we go through all different, all different tests. The bottom line, the more you know God... <clears throat> The more you know his character, we learn about his character through the cross of yep. Jesus Christ. We revealed the character of God because Jesus is God in the flesh. And so as we know that, as we know the character of God and we see God, and we see what he's like, we love God, right? That's right. And as we love God, then that love in us compels us to want to please him and do what is right. The problem is our flesh gets in the way. There's lots of times I want to do the right thing. Excuse me, but my flesh wants to do something different. And so we have authority, though, over our flesh. That's right. You know, a lot of times as believers, we think, oh, we have authority over the devil. We have authority over... You know what? The devil's not our problem. It's our own flesh. You know, the devil will put thoughts in our minds, and, and we conquer the flesh through our mind, through our thoughts. Because as we believe lies and we believe the excuses, we're going to fall prey to our flesh. And so we have to learn to overcome it in our thinking and in our thought process because God has given us that ability. The Bible says, cast down every thought. Every imagination, every high thing right. that exalts itself against the word of God. And so, you know, when I want to do good, every time I want to do good, the devil gets in the way by planting a seed, but it's me that either believes that seed or rejects it. Okay, so when I want to do, so we are called as children of God to lay down our lives, just like Jesus did. We're called to lay down our lives for others, right? We're all called to be givers, not just financially, but with our time, with, with uh, encouraging others, with living for sure. others, and just, and not, as long as we're self-consumed with pleasing ourselves, we're never going to be satisfied, right. ever. 
We never can be. We're conduits of God's now, his spirit on the inside to demonstrate to a world the love of God, to demonstrate what God is like. And we do that through serving others, through blessing others, through loving others, through giving, through unselfishness, through just being who God has called us to be. And that's what God is looking for. He's looking for people that that's won't right. give in to the excuses of the flesh and who will choose to walk in obedience. The Bible tells us that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Do you know there's suffering in obeying God? That's right. There's a suffering in obeying God because whenever you're denying your flesh, how many know that's tough? Right? It's hard. You know, you want to do this, but you know you're supposed to do this. And so you go through this battle between whether you should do it or not do it. And, and it lines up in every area of our lives, whether it's in your marriage. How many know wives and husbands sometimes know what they should say to their wife or their husband, and they know what they shouldn't say to their wife or their husband, but they end up doing what they shouldn't and not doing what they should. And what happens if you say the wrong thing to your spouse? Doesn't work out well, does it? And, but what happens when you say the right thing? You get blessed, right? And so we can, you know, that choice. But how many know when you're in that moment of choosing, you know, maybe your spouse ticks you off. Nobody here has a spouse that ever ticks them off, right? But maybe you do. You know, maybe once in a while Testimony your spouse. Testimony time. Yeah, maybe once in a while your spouse will tick you off. And your flesh rises up and wants to say something. How many know sure. exactly what I'm talking about? And you know if you say that. You're not going to have a pleasant time afterwards, right? You're going to have some strife. You're going to have some arguments. Um, you're going you're gonna to have some anger and things happen that will cause you to just have a, a bad time. God doesn't want us to have a bad time. That's right. He wants us to be blessed. And so if we can learn at that moment not to say what it is we want to say that the flesh is trying to tell us to say, and that moment there's a suffering because you're arguing with your flesh, right? Because if you know better... If you know better, then you're going to say the right thing, right? If you know better, you're going to say something good to them and not something bad to them. That's right. And if you say something good to them, what will happen? You will be blessed. You'll have a great night. You know, you'll have a great time. And, you know, I always like to tell the story about the red shoes. And I'm going to tell that story, okay, because I have yeah, to. Yeah, I was going to wear the new I ones have to today. Tell you know, my husband loved red shoes, and I hated them. And um, I remember getting rid of the first pair he had because I didn't like them. And so he bought a pair behind my back and um, would Stuck wear them, in a he would wear them when I wasn't when I around. Travel. Yeah, he would wear them when I wasn't around. And one day, you know, my daughter came over and she was, she was upset because she lost her temper with her kids and she was upset. So I was sitting there telling her how not to react and how to respond. And I normally am not a reactor. I mean, I do react occasionally, but that's not normally what I do. And so I'm trying to tell her how not to react. And he comes home from a meeting, and he, he's in our living room, and he sits back in this lazy chair, and he puts his feet up, and he's got red shoes on. And as soon as I saw those red shoes, I was, I was mad. I really got angry. Because what the devil told me, you know, the devil knows how to put thoughts in our heads, right? What I heard was if he really loved me, he wouldn't wear those shoes because he knows I don't like them. How many know what I'm talking about? And so I, I said to him, you didn't wear those shoes, did you? And, darn right I did. And, uh, <laughs> he couldn't really deny it because they were on his feet, right? Um, but I got really angry at him. And my daughter, like I started, to, I started, you know, attacking him because he was wearing red shoes. And my daughter said, Mom, it's okay. Like, didn't you read a book on the cross? You know, she's, uh, <laughs> she knows how to... 
And she said, and I'll then, give you then, the cross. No, some, okay. Then something came out of my mouth, and I knew. I knew I was in trouble. I thought, well, this is what I said after she said, didn't you write a book on the cross? I said, I'm ready to crucify him right now. <laughs> and well, I knew shoes, as soon I mean, as those on. words came out of my mouth that something was wrong with me. Right? And I went and started, had a talk with God. I said, I'm going to go for a walk. And I went for a walk and I talked to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Why don't you like red shoes? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. I just don't like them. And then the Holy Spirit kept asking why. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, Why? 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 Why are we doing the things we're doing? Why do we keep falling into the same traps? Yep. So anyway, I, I said, Well, I don't like them. And he said, Why? And I said, Well, I think they look stupid. And then he said, why? What, what, what difference is that? What's that to you? And I said, well, I, th I don't think people will take him seriously. <laughs> See, now we're getting more to the root, right? And then I felt the Holy Spirit said, well, is that my problem or yours? And then I knew, you know what? I knew the answer, right? So I had to cast it, and I had to, I had to ask forgiveness. And so um, I actually bought him a pair of red shoes yesterday. So just so you know, I'm delivered from... <laughs> Red shoes, but uh, <laughs> I got four pairs of red shoes now. It's, it's, it's his Father's Day gift. <laughs> so anyway, but um, but you know, but you know, sometimes we're not obeying God in things, and our flesh is wanting to say and do something that we know was wrong, and and we do it anyway because we're more about ourselves, we're more concerned about ourselves than the other person. And therefore, we get negative results. And when we do the right thing, we get the blessing of God on our life. God pours out his blessings on our lives in so many ways. And, and he wants to bless us. But it only comes through obedience. There's a law of cause and effect sure. that you cannot get rid of. If you, if you don't go to work for a month, guess what? You're not going to get paid. You probably might lose your job. Cause and effect, right? There's things we do. If you sow good things into your marriage, you're going to have a great marriage. But if you're always murmuring and complaining and attacking and miserable and unthankful and ungrateful and looking at all the negative, guess what? You're going to have a bad marriage, right? You're going to get out of life right. what you put into it and what you believe for by crucifying your own flesh. Crucify your flesh, not the other person's flesh, right? You got to take care of yourself and do the right thing. And then you get the blessing of God. Yeah, well, when she was gone, she went for that walk. I polished my shoes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm very secure in these here. You know, it's like, I... and, then, and then you want to hear a good one? Then she says, I understand one day. I understand why you wear them. Tell me what happened with the Pope. Well, I found out, <laughs> I found out the Pope wears red shoes. <laughs> That's right. And uh, he always wanted to be the Pope when he was growing up, you know. <laughs> so... I when, was we, when we were in Sicily, we were praying in a church there for all these people, and I looked down, and all the men were wearing red shoes, and I thought, he's a Sicilian, so now I know where he gets it from, right? <laughs> so I just would never give in. I'd always wear my red shoes, just didn't want to hassle, so put them in a suitcase. Let's go. Anyway, let's move on. Can you all say amen? The only instruction, have you ever wondered, uh, we all teach today about how many know God restored us back to the place that Adam was before the fall? And Adam, it's amazing, was only given one instruction by God. If you look in the book of Genesis chapter 2, it says, Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. Well, the word keep it literally means to keep intruders out. 
How many know at this time Satan was already a fallen creature? He tried to overthrow the throne of grace. We know that from the book of Isaiah. It teaches us in great detail about the seven I wills of Ezekiel 28 that Lucifer wanted to do. And then God says the seven I wills of what's going to happen over there in the book of Isaiah chapter 7. I believe this with everything in me that there was a world that was here before Adam was ever here. Because the Bible says go and it says replenish the earth after the fall. You can't replenish something if it wasn't plenished. And that's, I believe, the spirits of a disembodied race of individuals. We call them principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. And I believe it all came from that error with Lucifer that took one-third of all the angels and called them to rebel against God and caused the creation down here to fall. That's where the demons and angels, I'm not going to get into the whole aspect of demonology today or fallen angels, but I believe there was a world here. The point I want to bring out is this here. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, For in that day that you eat it, you shall surely die. The word surely die literally means dying, you will die. So the spiritual separation from God was manifested itself in physical death afterwards. Why? Because the human body was never meant to die in in its first state. It was just meant to live uh, over and over and over, and your cells will recreate themselves over and over and over every day. Millions of them die of cells within our bodies, but then millions more come. How many can agree? So, so the point is, that there was a command that was given before the fall, and then after the fall, we can see the same thing brought out in Revelation 14. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And it speaks about even in the time frame called the tribulation period in old, uh, in the future, I should say. And then Revelations 22, 14, right at the end of the book says, blessed are those who do, the word do means to perform an act or duty, his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life. And then he says, and may enter through the gates into the city, but outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexual moral. And it's not speaking of the natural dogs. It's speaking of the religious ones that, that said, do as I say, but don't do as I do. It said sexually immoral and murders and idolaters and whoever loves to practice a lie. Obedience gives us really access, if you want to call it, to the tree of life. What I have learned over there is there's two wars that are going on, okay? There's a war in the spiritual realm that manifests itself in a war in the natural realm. And if we understand this here, Paul goes and sums it up, and he says there's the law of of the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus that has freed us from the law of sin and death. There's now as a new creation, a new principle that is in operation inside of your life. I believe this with everything in me. We make Jesus Christ number one inside of our lives and put him in first place in our life. The choices that we make, the decisions that we make are going to now follow in line with his lordship inside of our life. Can you all say amen? That means his government, the government of God. But in Philippians, it says in chapter 2, verse 3, he tells us in the New Living Bible, I love this, it says, don't be selfish. How many know when you got born again, how many know prior to that, there was a selfish nature? What does that mean? It was always about me. It was always about mine. It was always about I. But how many know when we get born again, there's now what we call a selfless nature? That's why we said, do it, the, the royal law, do unto our na- love our neighbor as we love ourselves. How many know we want to see people blessed? We want to see people helped. Come on, church. So he says, be humble. 
Thinking of others is better than yourself. Verse number four of Philippians chapter two. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Well, if it says that we, have the, we are to have the same attitude he had, then how many know through the new creation, his thoughts are now our thoughts. His words are now our words. His mind is now our mind. The actions that we're going to have now are the actions that go, what can we do to please the Father? What can we do to stay in the will of God? Jesus said, I only do the things that my Father tells me to do in line with what the Word of God said. So it's as though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his what? Divine privileges. Now, I just love this here. He took the humble position of a slave and was born uh, as a human being when he appeared in human form. Verse number eight, he humbled himself in what? In obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all, all other names. So, so the point that I'm bringing, why is it that God gives us these commands? Why is it that God would actually say the last ingredient in the Bible is the ingredient now of corresponding actions to our faith? We're going to be covering this in great detail next week when we get together, or the week after Father's Day when we get together again. But I summarized and put everything in there. Understand, Israel was a society that dealt with agricultural. Come on now. So they were used to corn. They were used to illustrations of the sower sowing the word when Jesus taught when he was here. But I took every scripture, the entire Bible together, and this is why God gave a command, a blessing. This is why God said, if you're willing, this is why God said, if you're obedient, you're going to eat the good of the land, not the bad of the land, not the leftovers, but you're going to eat the best part of the land, the abundance of the land. And so this is what it means. It says, obedience will cause you and I to be a peculiar treasure to the Lord. Mercy will be shown to you by the Lord. God will be an enemy to your enemy, an adversary to your adversaries. You will have rain in due season. The land shall yield its increase. Trees of the field shall yield their fruit. You shall eat your bread to the full. You shall dwell securely in safety. Peace will be in your land. When you lie down, you're going to sleep. None shall make you afraid. You'll be rid of evil beasts. Judgments will be kept from you enemies will be chased by you and fall God will respect you and make you fruitful God will make his home in you he will be your God you will be his people your bands of bondage will be broken it will be well for you well for your children you will live a long life God will keep his covenant with you the Lord will bless you the Lord will bless the fruit of your womb your corn your flocks he'll take away barrenness from you from male and female even your cattle God will take all sickness and disease off you and put them on those that hate you. God will do this for you. The cities that you dwell in shall be blessed. Your stores shall be blessed. You and I shall be established as a holy people, plenteous in goods, plenteous in children, plenteous in cattle, and God will establish you as a holy people. We will be a lending people out of debt, not borrowed. We will be the head, not the tail. We'll be on top, not beneath. 
Captivity will be turned from your life. The Lord will rejoice over you for good. Good success will come your way. God will prosper you in all that you do. You will have enough to eat and plenty left over. Heaven will be opened up to you. God's blessing will be poured out upon you. You'll be crowned with the crown of life at the end of your life. The Lord will sanctify you. The Lord will stretch you. The Lord will strengthen you. You'll have a song of the Lord. You'll have his rock, his fortress, a deliverer, a buckler, a horn, a light, a shield, and the Lord will cause you feet not to slip. The Lord will restore your soul, and above everything else, the Lord will keep your name in his book of life. Glory to God. That's why we teach on corresponding action. That's why James said, faith without corresponding action, it's useless, it's dead. But we're faith men and women. We're faithful people. And we're going to abound in the blessing of God, not determined by who we are, but by what he said. Glory to God. Amen. What do you think, what do you think society would be like in, in Canada and the U.S. if you remove churches? You know, we, we live in a culture right now where there are so many vices that are after our children and our grandchildren. And we live in a, in a fallen world and that the sin is just getting worse and worse. And we can see that all around us. We can see immorality. We can see the drugs and the alcohol and the addictions that are just rampant. We can see gambling addictions, pornography. You know, there's just so many things out there. And these things are designed to destroy lives. And the people behind these things, all they want is, is money and all they want is, is whatever they can to take they don't care about people. They don't care what happens to people. Right. And, right. you know, our children, so many children, because they're being brought up without God, uh, there's no prayer left in the schools, and, uh, or they're being taught all kinds of things that are contrary to God, God's word. And, and kids are feeling hopeless, many of them. They know the world's a mess, and it's scary for them. And, you know, I have 16 grandkids, and I have concerns for Come my on. grandkids. But the Come best on. thing I can do for my kids and for my grandkids well, yeah. is obey God and have faith and demonstrate God to them, because then when they're in the test, when they're in the trial, they will have the faith to believe God through whatever life throws at them, so it will not destroy destroy them. And, and that's what we want to see. And, and you know, we, we here at the church, we want to just, and we're not the only church in Windsor. There's lots of great Christian churches out there. But you know what? The church needs to be a place where people can learn about God and learn how to apply God into their lives so that they can walk victoriously and not just be like everybody else out there that doesn't know God. And we're made to be different. And, you know, whatever we do in this church is to, to build this church to make it better for the future generations. That's why we put so much money into the children's church and into the youth center and into uh, the projects that we're doing, the food bank and the woman's home. And all of those things are, are geared to help people walk in victory and grow and overcome. You know, I always hear this thing, oh, all they want is their, your money. And you know what? That's a lie from hell. We don't want, it's not money we want, we want to see people's lives changed. Come on, yeah, come Nobody on. says that when they go into the casino. You don't hear people going into the casino saying all they want is my money. And yet people will throw thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars into a chance of getting something back. Whereas whatever we give to God, we have a 100% chance of getting it back if we get it, if we give it for the right reasons. I want to just quickly tell the story, and I know we're running out of time, but this is important because we've learned these lessons ourselves, and we live these things ourselves. People think, oh, well, when we give to the church, you get more money. No, we don't. We are on a salary just like everybody else at a set 
by the government standards and you can look at it online. We don't have anything to hide. Yeah. But I remember many years ago when I was um, married to my late husband, um, we were pastoring in Mississauga and I remember our church was a lot smaller. It was about 100, 150 people and we were going into a building program. And so we had a stewardship uh, program that we initiated to raise funds for our building. And we asked every couple in the church, pray and ask God what you're supposed to give. And we said to couples, pray separately what you're supposed to give. See if you get the same figure. And if like Candy and Roger, you know, one got a bigger figure. So we just said, do whatever you believe God's telling you to do. That's what we told everybody. So my husband and I, we prayed and we asked God what we were supposed to give. And we got $30,000. Well, $30,000 for us, that was almost his whole salary for the year. And, and I, this was, yeah, this was over 30 years ago and I wasn't making hardly any money. And so it was huge, but we felt God told us to give 30,000. Now we told people, whatever you pledge, you have three years to pay it. So if you make a pledge, you have three years to give that pledge towards the building project. So we were the pastors, but we did the same thing, and we pledged $30,000. And so a year went by, and we didn't know how we were going to get the $30,000. A year went by, and we had no means of getting it, but God just kept making us wait because we kept praying. And you got to put actions to your faith. And so we... Um, didn't know what the action was we were supposed to do, though. And so finally, God spoke to us and said, you know, you're going to sell, sell real estate. He told me, you're going to sell real estate, and I'm going to tell you when, to, when you're going to get into the real estate. Back then, you could have your real estate license in six weeks once you applied for, to, the, to the course. And so finally, one day, God told me, go down and apply today. You're going to start school right away. So I went down. It's a whole long story I don't have time to get into, but I got my license. As soon as I started selling real estate, the market in, in the Toronto, Mississauga area just took off like wildfire. And within six months, long story short, I made $100,000. And I was able to put $30,000 and fulfill the pledge that we had made to the church. Well, on top of that, we had another 70 left over. So we were able to buy a nice house. We had a small semi-detached house up to that point, And we bought a nice two-story home. And uh, we paid $179,000 for it. And a few years later, my husband ended up being killed in a car accident. And I, that's another whole long story. But we had a mortgage insurance, so the mortgage got wiped out. And later on, when I married Pastor Rick and sold that house, I made $350,000 cash. And we were able, when I moved to Windsor, married him 27 years ago, we were able to buy a nice home. And, uh, and so a lot of people will look, oh, you guys have a nice home. You take money out of the church. That's not true. None of the money came from right. the church for the home we have. It all came through giving and through sowing and believing God and trusting God into the kingdom. And um, so we've never had a mortgage since we got married because of that, because of what happened way back then. And so, you know, we trust God. This works. God, God, you right. can never outgive God. I've given cars away. I've given all kinds of things away. When God tells me to give, I give. And, and God always gives back. We try to be the biggest givers we can be percentage-wise in our church. And, and meaning by percentage based on what we, we take in. And so we do it because we believe in the That's principle. Right. We wouldn't want to tell somebody to do something if we don't believe, if you don't believe in what you're doing. And we're not going to tell people to do something we wouldn't do ourselves. Anyway, God is, but how many know it's a war in our flesh? Whether it's giving time, whether it's giving money, whether it's giving uh, into a relationship, whatever it is, how many know there's sacrifice? Right. And it's a struggle. And we have a skit prepared that's just going to demonstrate this because we don't want them to go without giving the skit. And then we'll come right and up then for we're communion close. and we're dismissed. Okay. What is 10% of 100 bucks? $10. Dad, do you have change for... Dad, do you have change for 20? No, I don't. Mom, do you have change for 20? No, I'm sorry, I don't. Jeez. 
Hey, Dad, do you think I can make a change in the offering bucket? Well, I guess you could. It might look a little awkward, don't you think? Darn. Adriana, what's the matter? Well, my tithe is 10 bucks, but I only got a 20. Well, just tie the $10 and give the rest as an offering. But God doesn't need an extra 10 bucks, I do. Oh, really? Well, it's my money. Is it now? Hey, I earned it. I skipped two weekends with my friends and babysat the Millers. Oh, time well spent. Now you're $80 richer. $90 richer if I can find a way to get a 10 out of my 20. Adriana, why don't you just give the whole $20? Well, Dad, I'm not like you. I don't have a bunch of money I could just throw away. Throw away? Come on, you're always dropping bills and offering and special needs. Adriana, you may think your dad has a lot of money and he's just throwing it away, but the truth is, we always ask God how we can help when we see needs in the community and in the church. Yeah, you know what? God always presents us with the opportunity to see if we trust him with our finances. You know, every penny that I have actually belongs to God. It's because of God that I can earn it. 10% is his. The rest, we get to keep. We get to keep or to bless others. Ha-ha-ha! Bless others! I'm others, bless me! Whenever I ask you guys for something, you're like, I'll think about it. And we do think about it. Sometimes you guys say no to things I really, really want. And sometimes we say yes. Okay, I, I, I see what's going on. So you think holding on to your money, you'll get what you want when you want it? I guess. Look, kiddo, you know, God says no to me sometimes too. But if I held on to every penny that I had so that we would all have whatever we wanted whenever we wanted it, we would end up with nothing. Wait, so you're saying if I hold on to my cash, I will end up with no cash. I'm sorry, I don't get it. I don't get it. We have everything we need because we have always trusted God with every bit of money that comes into our house. And not just 10% of it. And because of that, God has blessed us. That's right. You know what? It's been our experience that you can't outgive God. So Adriano, why not trust God with the whole 20 and see what he can do with it? Great job. We're going to break bread together, so if you can prepare, and we're going to close with James chapter 2, if you can put it up. And I'm going to summarize the first part of this chapter, James 2, verse number 8. It teaches us something very, very interesting over here, that how many know God is no respecter of persons? How many know because what a person drives or where a person lives? How many know in the eyes of God that really doesn't mean much? Come on. Did you hear what I just said? Color of our skin, nationality, age, that really doesn't really mean anything to God. God tells us to treat the rich just as we're going to treat the poor. And so chapter 2 of James speaks about respecter of persons giving the best seats in the whole house to the wealthy rich, but then the poor just putting them off so nobody recognizes them or nobody's there. He goes on, he said, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scripture. Well, what's the royal law found in the scripture? What does it say? Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin and you're guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. 
So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you'll be judged by the law that sets you free. There'll be no mercy for those who have shown no mercy. Mercy to others, uh, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye, have a great day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It's dead and it's useless. We recognize Romans speaks about faith before salvation. James speaks about faith after salvation. It's a byproduct of my life and a byproduct of yours. To WCF, we commend you. I believe this is the most generous house in all of Essex County. I can even step further. I believe it's one of the most generous houses in all of Canada. Amen? And it's because of people like you that we are able to do the things that we're doing in here to feed the poor, to help those in the homeless. You know, almost 700 to 850,000 a year just to keep the women's home going. That's over and above everything else. To feed 1,700 people a month out of the Benevolence Center here, it takes the volunteer base that we have, the workers and the servers in here, and we're doing it, not by our might or power, but by His Spirit. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you for the yes, privilege we, we have to serve you. We thank you that you've called us to be givers, to lay down our lives, and to live for others. And Lord, we take this bread. Lord, the body of Christ is, was laid down for us. Yes. And you gave everything for us so that we could give to others. So Father, we take this bread with thanksgiving, Lord, that we are your body and that we can be part of your kingdom and build your kingdom. And your word says if we do, you add all things unto us. And so, Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. And God, if there's any odd against anyone in the room, any odd between couples, any odd, the Bible says when you go to worship in Matthew chapter 5, it says, and there you remember that your brother has ought against you. It says, stop, go first, be reconciled to your brother, to your sister, and then come and worship God. God, may that not just be a word that we hear, but may it be a word that we act upon. And so, God, if there's any unresolved issues, any unresolved conflicts among any in the room today, I just pray that by your grace they would just take the first step initiate towards it, see the spirit of reconciliation take place, and then see what you desire just to break out upon their lives. So God, as we have this cup today, we're reminded of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross that paid it all in full for us. And as we partake of this, release every good gift in us that's in Christ Jesus, we ask, Daddy, in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed, said?